You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Wind whips the loose sails as steel clashes on the decks of a mangled and burning ship. A woman in black and with heavy dark veil slowly raises her hand to manipulate the invisible strands of fate, ensuring the return of a man pictured in a locket, open in the mahogany table before her. The door opens into an exquisite image of a ball. White wigs, powdered faces turn to see a woman dressed in red velvet, just as a jeweled mask passes before her emerald eyes. On a distant isle, a young explorer lifts a dust-covered relic of a bygone world to a well-dressed noble who grins as the sound of a pistol cock echoes in the torchlight. These are the images of Seventh Sea, and the topic of our 43rd episode of this, your storyteller conclave. Hi, sir. Hi, Rob. How are you doing? I'm kind of like I'm kind of thrilled right now. Like <laughs> I know, I know. It is we're going to be talking about my favorite stuff, 7C. Mm-hmm. I, I love 7C as a system. Um I'm going to flat out say really? it. Really, you never mentioned it before. I know, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, go on. Go on. Um so 7C for me, uh and I'm going to preface this with first edition. Um is literally my favorite system by far. I I stumbled into it with some friends. Uh, many, many, many years ago and then quickly dragged kicking and screaming people into it and uh, <laughs> finding books whenever we could. So it was uh, it was definitely a thing uh, that captured me very quickly. By the time I joined one of your games, um, your your 7C games had already kind of become a thing of legend for me. Uh, I'd heard from mutual friends of ours yep. uh, that, uh, you know, oh, oh, Rob's going to be running 7C. And I was like, oh, OK, that that sounds neat. Like, I've, sure. you know, never really played it before. I've heard a thing or two, you know, exist in the gamer community. You yeah, hear things yeah, yeah. about other games and whatnot. And uh, I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, oh, OK. <laughs> sure, sure. So uh, we'll, I'm going to break this down as best I can so that people can get a feel for what the system really is, not just what I love about it. Um, so to be completely clear, 7th C has technically three editions. There's the first and second edition. But during first edition, they also partnered and did a D20, which was um, swashbucklers. Um, and it uh, it is different. Uh, between it and first edition technically, but the world is still the same. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you stepped over to second edition, the rule system changed drastically and technically time shifted forward. Um, and that's another thing that I'll be discussing a little bit about the world. So um, so for those of you who don't know, 7C was uh, put together originally by AEG, which is now Chaosium. Um, and that was uh, Jennifer Wick, John Wick, and Kevin Wilson. Not that John Wick. Not that John Wick. Um, and uh, originally in first edition featured the art of uh, Therese Nielsen who drew some dreamy shit and it was amazing. Um, the world itself, which is the most important, I would say, part of 7C, um, is a heavily influenced and exaggerated version of 17th century Europe. Um including uh, the adjoining aisles and locations. So uh, you had a, uh, a Gnostic Christianity with Spanish Inquisition and Templars and Masons and Knights involved in that as well. Um, and it was a world uh, developed not unlike our modern Europe, just kind of stretched out. Uh, so you had uh, nations like uh, Avalon, which was England, uh, Castillo, which is Spain. Montaigne, which is France, uh, Eisen, Germany, uh, Usura, which is Rus- Russia, the Vendel and Vesemann Havanyar, <laughs> which was Netherlands and Scandinavia, uh, Vidacci, Italy. Uh, and then on top of that, you had Innsmore, Ireland, the Highland Marches, Scotland, uh, the Crescent Empire, which was kind of the Ottoman uh, Arabic states, uh, the Midnight Archipelago, uh, which is both uh, the Caribbean and North Africa kind of crammed together. Okay. And then Cathay, which was uh, China, Korea, and Tibet, and 
Yes, the seven rings technically is attached, so you, you the world is part of oh, it. Or five, five rings. Five yeah, rings. yeah. Um, you know, seven rings. I shouldn't be. Uh, so the five rings. Seven the, rings. Five. Sorry, five. <laughs> well, five rings, but actually, uh, there's lore about uh, the additional rings. Oh, uh, which ties the two together. Oh, um, isn't there like one ring to rule them? Or no, is that you wish. It, unfortunately, it's China, so the answer is no. Gotcha. Um, uh, and then second edition added the. Um, the Commonwealth, the uh, Semarin uh, Commonwealth, which was basically Poland, Lithuania. But oh, okay. I'm okay. not going to get into that. Um, the basis of 7C is that it's a, den- a D10 roll and keep system. Mm-hmm. Um, so very simple, easy to pick up, um, kind of a world of darkness system in a way. Yeah. So what what, what is roll and keep? Because that, that's, that, that was something that kind of threw me at first. Was, right. I was used so, to world of darkness walking into it. Right. You handful of D10s like, yeah. OK, there's going to be successes and not successes. Right. And you're going to count the numbers that are – the number of successes you roll. Correct. And so success checks in, in 7C first edition um, – Basically was you have a trait and you have a knack under your skills. So for instance, if I wanted to uh, stab somebody with my sword, if I Mm -hmm. wanted to to fight them with my sword, I would grab my finesse Mm -hmm. uh, trait, whatever dots I had in there, whatever the rank was and take those as dice and then I would take my finesse dots in that knack. So still very much like White Wolf where you're Mm -hmm. grabbing like dex plus melee. Correct and grabbing your pool. But instead of saying, okay, when I roll that, I have have certain things that constitute a success. I literally say, okay, what is my trait – that I'm basing this on. Well, it's finesse and that might be, you know, rank three. I have three dots in it. Sure. So I get to only keep three dice because it's the best I can get to. So there might be six dice hitting the table if I'm, you know, exceptionally right. good at swords, three dice in, uh, three dice in fencing. Correct. Three dice in finesse, but I only get to keep three of those. Correct. But you get to pick whatever three you want. Okay. So yeah. if you roll three tens, fantastic. Um, and then uh, that whole got scrapped into the d20 system and got different but we're not again we're going to kind of ignore that system i, I kind of I feel like the d20 version of just about any of these games is like because they really went like especially after third edition came out and the open game yeah. license happened that's like what did all of that they went d20 crazy on yeah everything. swashbuckling adventures um which I, I didn't like the name of it when it came out but i could see where they did it and like a lot of people did uh you know uh, pathfinder editions of things mm-hmm. um in the same kind of feel but that was much closer system so it felt really easy to go between those two things yeah um but they wanted to get the world out in other places and i i get that i totally understand that sure, it just sure, sure. system wise made it difficult and a lot of people kind of thought that that was weird but again it worked and so it it drew people to 7c as well which brought up when second edition came out, a lot of people who were interested in it. It's the kingdom of the crystal skull of the uh, yeah, of the 7C. <laughs> kind of, uh, kind of. It's that one that you just kind of go, oh, I guess it's canon. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, so again, you've got uh, traits, you know, mm-hmm. brawn, finesse, wits, resolve, and something that they added, which was panache. Panache. And I think panache was a fantastic ad because it was like, what the hell is panache? Well, je ne sais quoi. Exactly. It's that <laughs> it's that certain je ne sais quoi. That thing. It means a certain flair. Yes, right. I know what panache means. Yeah. Really, I had to look it up. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, brawn is your strength check. Finesse is your dexterity check. Wits obviously is intelligence. Wits kind of crammed into one. Resolve mm-hmm. is. In essence, your life. It's, it's constitution almost. Yeah, yeah really. A, um, and panache kind of incorporates actions as well as a little bit of social. And that's – it makes it a little bit different in, in working with that. It's kind of a measure of like how dynamic your character is yeah. and, and almost like their, their dramatic potential. Correct, correct. But at the same time, like I could be a really good swordsman because I have a lot of panache. Mm-hmm. You know, I have that flair and that ability and that speed. It's more than just my finesse. Yeah, it's my ability to move and make space. So I might not be a great swordsman. My finesse might be low, but if my panache is high, I might be able to outduel you because I have more action. Oh yeah, than my you. first character lived and died on his panache. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, um. So think of panache as is is something a little bit more than what you know what it could fit. Um, <laughs> no, we're not talking gurps. Walk away. Um, <laughs> so then you had traits uh, that combined with knacks. Now skills have sets of knacks to go with them. That's mm-hmm. the whole thing. Is is that so you'd buy a skill set. 
um, with your points uh, and I'll get to character creation as well. And in that, you might have several knacks. For instance, like if I was – if I grabbed the courtier uh, or courtesan, I might have in there linguistics. I might have etiquette. I might have dance. I might have perform. Those are all knacks mm -hmm. that fall under that and are technically my skill checks. So whenever I'm dancing, I'll use dance and finesse. Mm -hmm. Or the storyteller might have me use panache because maybe I'm trying to outdance someone um, in, in a motivational way. Not so much in a physical way, mm -hmm. you know, um, and so that's where the game can get a little different. Is because there aren't actual skill sets that are tied directly to traits. You have the ability, the the storyteller has the ability to work with you in the dynamic of the story to roll differently. Mm -hmm. If you can explain that your character is doing something in a different way, yeah, you might end up rolling a different trait off of that. Sure, sure. Um, and so it does make it a very role play and. Uh, movement friendly game and that that adds a lot of dynamic to it that's different than pretty much anything else I've ever played um, so the one big thing that I would say sits on me as a system that is different mm -hmm. is that it fell a lot into systems that we saw in the I would say early 90s uh, or late 80s and early 90s where you not only got a system but you got a whole world to go along with it. Oh, yeah. You know, D&D yeah, yeah, yeah. &D gave us a flavor of a world but we really didn't have Faroon or Greyhawk till some time. Mm -hmm. And then there were constant D&D &D worlds. We had Forgotten Realms. We had all these other things but those were all additions and add-ons. This literally is in the player's handbook and explains the entire world to you because it needs to. Yeah, um, because the rules are are so intrinsically tied to the world. Correct, correct. Um, especially like, especially when you start getting into things like magic. Well, magic and sword schools. Yeah. Um, you can make a character that has magic from a different country, but it costs you more, and you kind of have to explain in a way why. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe your great your grandmother was from Vadachi, and that's why you might have some of the blood from it. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps your trainer was a Scottish Spaniard who <laughs> <laughs> taught you. As a Highlander, how to fight Can't you in hear my Spanish exactly. accent? Exactly. You know, so uh, it was uh, – This is also my Russian accent. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so uh, each country has its own unique magic. Uh, each country has its own unique sword schools. Um, and that changes a lot of the campaign because you have to kind of – now instead of having a class, you kind of have a country that you stick to. Mm -hmm. Um and then on top of that, there are things like reputation. There are things like uh, honor that go into it. Now, honor is not necessarily a stat. Reputation is. But effectively, it's you're a hero and like dueling someone to the death is a serious thing. You you can't just do that anywhere. In right. fact, there's a swords, swordsman guild which basically states no one is allowed to do that. You have to literally schedule your duels with them. If you're anywhere near a city to mm -hmm. make sure that it's honorable and done properly and that, you know, people because, you know, there's an honor among swordsmen, you know, and that anyone outside of that is, you know, it's heresy. It's it's villainous. Mm -hmm. Why would you do that? You know, using a firearm. Oh, cool. Motive. Brute. Still murder. Yeah, it's exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so those kinds of things add to the world as well. Um, and then you do have, you know, certain other mystical elements that are involved in it. Um, I'm not going to get into all of them. There is a rich world history um, that delves into how the magics came about and who were the previous, you know, occupants of the world and how mm -hmm. the world was created. Um, and all of that is is literally background flavor that adds to whatever the story is in such a light way that it it just sits on the edges. And I think that's one of the things that really grabbed me about 7C um, was the fact that, you know, I, I mean, I, I come from, of course, a, a strong D&D background where, you know, the fantasy elements mm -hmm. are up in your face. You know, you've got these grand wizards casting these giant fireballs and dragons mm -hmm. and goblins and, you know, awful monstrosities from the nether realms are constantly yep. leaking in and there's multiple different planes, you yep. know, that you can go to and, and, and gods that are constantly involved. And we go to 7C and it's still got these fantasy elements. Mm -hmm. It's still got creatures lurking in the darkness of the mm -hmm. wilderness and it's yep. still got magic, but they're all and it's it's even got magical artifacts in Very it. Very much so. But they're so subtle. Yeah. 
you know those those things lurking in the in you know you're not going to go fight toe to toe with a tribe of goblins that's living in the woods. Not in the list. You're probably going to hear rumors and conjectures that. Mm-hmm. The woods are haunted, maybe, or something like that. Yeah. You know, and if you go in there, you might catch a glimpse of them as, but you know, before they attack you. Yeah. One of the things that I love about it is just that, where they talk about the uh, that pretty much any myth you can think of, mm-hmm. any of the Hans Christian Andersen myths, or and legends, um, or or some of the ones that you you may have heard, like Red Cap, mm-hmm. or the Chupacabra, or anything that fits in with medieval Europe or fantasy realms exists in Seventh Sea. There's mm-hmm. almost a, a direct existence of that floating somewhere out there. Um, and that makes it really neat because you'll be reading something you'll be like, wait a second. That's the myth of so-and-so. Holy yeah. Lord. Like how is that in here? <laughs> that, big, that big lizard eats all the goats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what, thingy. Yeah. How about that? So like the Knights of the Round Table exist in Avalon. Uh-huh. You know, at the same time as Merlin, at the same time as – uh, the, the the Mad King of Ireland mm-hmm. at the same time as Rob Roy at the same time as you know uh, as, as pretty much every Highlander Braveheart myth that exists. Uh, I think we've got some Rasputin up in one hundred percent at the same time that Old Mother Winter is yep. devouring invading armies. Yep. From we have Zorro and, in in Castillo yep. along with the Inquisition and a young youthful king who has a brother. Mm-hmm. You know, and there, you know, there's all these little pieces that tie together. You know, France is in 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 a a, a constant state of poor and rich. You know, ripe for a revolution. You know, you've got uh, the despair of of Eisen Germany because they recently had a religious protest war mm-hmm. that just happened that took the whole country apart. You know, you've got the old world uh, Vikings fighting against the new. Uh, shop and shopkeepers and merchants who are trying to, you know, capitalize on the world's trade routes. Mm-hmm. You know, so you've got all these parts that make up this exaggerated 17th century that we have in our minds and makes it real. And that that whole belief makes it exceptionally uh, different to play in than any other system because now things that you can remember from stories and from from little facts and movies, suddenly those tropes are real in this world and it makes for a really rich existence. Um, and, and it's kind of cool because it because it does pull from such, you know, real world um parallels. And I think that's that's one of the things that that made it an easy system for me to get into mm-hmm. was when you realize like, oh, you know, all those myths that we have in our world, mm-hmm. you know, that are just bedtime stories yep. about uh, you know, say fairies stealing children, replacing them with bundles of sticks. Yep. That actually happens in this game and you're like, oh, suddenly I have a frame of reference for what's going on here, you know. And you can just say like, hey, you know the Spanish Inquisition? Mm-hmm. Yes. OK, there, there that's exists. a thing. Yeah. And this guy's an inquisitor. Oh, OK. Suddenly I have, you know, you know I, exactly I know what's going what to on. expect. Right. And it makes it very easy for people to recognize villainy and recognize darkness and mm-hmm. and the, 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 the darkness in men, you know. At the same time, it, this game 100 percent incorporates seduction. And and romance and makes those very living, breathing things that mm-hmm. are required. Like they do not, you know, they do not mince words when they say in some countries, women, you know, who don't have power are worthless. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sorry, you're a second wife at best. You know, yeah, you know, and and you may be left at home, shadowed in a corner. You know, but those women, you know, who are hiding are still are, are still of value, but not in that country as much. And sometimes they try to sneak away. Mm-hmm. You know, and that has haunting, cap- you know, haunting stories that come out of it as well. But they're part of this world. Yeah. Um. So it's it's very world centric. You you have to know the world, but at the same time, it is very it is very easy to accept. Um. So I'm gonna kind of take it from two different perspectives a little bit. Okay. Um. From a to- storyteller's perspective, um. I feel that 7C is different because of a couple things and the biggest one is heroism. Yeah. Without a doubt, like literally right in the very front of the book, it tells you how the game – the mantra of the game and that is is that measly stuff, brutes, you know, falling down, getting caught in a trap does not kill a hero. Mm-hmm. The only thing that kills a hero is a villain. So – if you're thinking in under the D&D auspices of I walk them into encounters and suddenly they get killed by a bunch of random things, 
No, they don't. Yeah. They're knocked unconscious. They're tied up. They're put in another room. The villain, you know, the henchman shows up and points his finger at them and does the one thing that you fully expect him to do. He leaves them locked alone in the cell with a sleeping guard 40 feet away <laughs> who has a set of keys on his hip and there's a dog in the corner. Yep. You know what's going to happen out of the scene because that's what's expected. Uh-huh. And in that, you are always believing in your heroes. Mm-hmm. You want those heroes to win. You want those heroes to triumph and move on because you want them to get to that fight. You want them to get to that moment of glory that happens. Exactly. Like if your if your character is going to die, it's going to be you know with a with a sword in his hand, you know, quipping a you know spitting a mouthful of blood at the villain and 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 quipping a one liner at him. You know that it's exactly. going to. Definitely sting him. Yeah. Know? If you've ever seen a movie or a TV show or something like mm-hmm. Firefly does a great job where Mal literally looks at him and goes, I'll never shoot you in the back. You'll be facing me and you'll be armed. When yeah. You, you know, and yeah. that's the truth. That's that's the honor among that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you think of something like even – I'll say the, the Incredibles where he's monologuing and – Mr. Incredible tries to catch him and he's like, you caught me monologuing. Like the, the villain catches himself with yeah. what he's done wrong. That kind of stuff is 7th C without a doubt. That's, that's what you think of. Sam in the live chat here uh, it, it actually says, you know, oh, that's, it's nice that you don't have to worry about dying of random things. Correct. And Sam, I, I want to just – because one thing I was thinking while, while mm-hmm. he, was, he was describing this very thing is that this is something that I in my time hanging out with Rob and gaming together with mm-hmm. him and stuff like that um, have really picked up from his gaming style. Yeah. Um, because like I said earlier, I came from a really strong D&D background and I know you're just starting a storytelling in D&D as well. Yeah. Um, y- you can do that in D&D too. Yep. Like there's nothing stopping you. This is not a game styles or a game system specific attribute. Definitely not. Okay. As the storyteller, you absolutely decide, you know, what how lethal traps are, how mm-hmm. random your encounters are, and how bold your villains are. Yeah. You know. So don't be afraid. If this is something that entices you about this system, but you're but you're still playing D and D and you're not playing Seven C, by all means, use this. Carry it over. Yeah, by all means. There, and there's nothing to say that you couldn't carry that same system idea over. And basically, whenever there's, and I'll get into how they handle uh, monsters in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely something you could carry to D and D without a problem. Yeah, yeah, it, absolutely. It, it would act a little funnier, and your players would kind of look at you weird, but. I think it would change the whole feel. Yes. And we'll kind of go to that. So it like, really does. Um, 7C, another thing that uh, that happens really well um, is that it is play. It is not played moment to moment. Mm-hmm. Like um, you can definitely play it moment to moment, but it gets very awkward. It doesn't have the crunch that D&D does where you need to manage like, do you no. have rations? Who's taking watch for the night? Yeah, you there's, know? there's no gear per yeah. se. Like it, it, there are some – Unique items mm-hmm. um, like certain swords are a thing. Um, there are uh, – like you said, there are some artifacts in the game. Um, there are definitely some sides. But you're never going to do a gear list and put in there like you know 10 candles, 40 feet of rope, things like that. Those are kind of assumed. These are adventurers. They they have things that they can build. You're never going to count horses. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe in a action sequence when a character jumps from his horse to another horse you know, and they're fighting you know, maybe on the horses in front of the carriage, you know, you, you can say you, you as a storyteller can be like, well, your your horse trotted off in the woods, so you're going to have to undo one of these horses or do something with the carriage. Mm-hmm. You know, you could do something like that, but again, I think that would be based on the scene more than Plus, anything else. It's more of a complication and less of an inventory management. Correct, but at the same time, like if your character is a master horseman, like you've you've you said, you know, you grew up in Castillo and trained horses all of your life mm-hmm. and riding horses, I would have no problem with your character whistling into the horse showing right back up, like, <laughs> oh, well, you. Tra- Trained it to do that, so yeah. there it is. You know that's not a thing. You know, uh, so your, your horse is just glitched out and standing on some <laughs> dude's roof. Exactly, so, <laughs> screw that horse. But uh, so yeah, that you're never going to do that. You're always going to be leading your characters into a scene, a reason, and this also gives you the opportunity to do villain scenes, which mm-hmm. is something that a lot of people think is really weird. Like, well, that why? blew my mind the yeah. first time you did that. You're like, um, meanwhile, and I'm exactly. like, what do you mean meanwhile? Yep, yep. Why are we seeing a scene we're not there for? Because it's important to the story. Because it's important and it's cool. Right. So like when you see the Cardinal Richelieu character talking with the king and he's basically talking, you know, you can tell he's making plans and then like as soon as he's done, he's like, of course you're magnanimous one. He walks out the door and closes the door and he's walking with his henchman mm-hmm. who you now have met. 
you know, and he's just like, good, then the deal is done. Destroy the 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 active you know musketeers and end their tyranny. Send the, message to this person yeah. who will completely countermand the deal that I just made with the king. Exactly, <laughs> and then literally the next scene is that henchman walking out on a, a, a dais and talking to all the musketeers and saying they've been disbanded and that the king thanks them for their service and they now can go join the army. And it's like, what just happened? You know that that is a seven C scene without a doubt. Um, a thing that fits well into that and I love getting to is story background. So in most game systems, 5th edition kind of added this and I thought it was nice. Um, but most systems don't have backgrounds. Like you mm-hmm. don't know where your character is. You're kind of making that up on your own. 7C gives you a template. Mm-hmm. Like gives you the ability to buy in your character development where you came from, why you are who you are. Yeah. You know, why is Athos a drunk asshole? Who sits in the corner? You know, why is Aramis never getting involved with women? You know, why is Porthos constantly showing off everything? Mm -hmm. You know, who is D'Artagnan? He looks like a kid. Like, why is he any good? All these people have backgrounds. All these people have stories. And that background comes into play and gives not only the the storyteller and the player advent to work with each other, Mm -hmm. but the player expects their background to come out. Yeah. And expects it to be part of the game and that adds flavor to the game itself in a way that they feel is meaningful. Now, we, we haven't played it in a while and I'm not very good at this. So let me let me see if I remember this. Sure. Back, backgrounds are the things on your character sheet where I give you one of my drama die and I say I want my background to play into this story. Is that correct? Is that the, is that the thing? Correct. OK. So then when my background comes up, I get experience because uh, I've added to the yes. story. Yes. It's not experience per se because experience adds a little differently, but yeah, effectively you get experience. But but yeah, I I, I get I get benefits you get a benefit for it, from basically it, yes. because I have added complications to the story. Correct. I've added my own drama die to your pool. Correct. Okay, and I think we'll talk about drama die a little we'll get in, to in, that. in yep, a little yep, yep. bit. But the drama die goes from my hands into yours as the storyteller. Meaning uh, we'll get you, to that. Yes. Meaning you can use it. Correct. So like for instance, if you're saying, um, and this isn't you spend to put it in, but at the beginning of the game, if you look at me and say, hey, I want my story to come up, mm-hmm. that's when you spend it. Right. And so now I as the storyteller at the beginning of the game had an idea of where the story was going. Now I have something to add into it. I have a puck. Uh-huh. So back to you, Sam, on this one. 7C is a game that you very lightly have a story outline. You have scenes and things that you're ready for, but literally at the beginning of a session, a player can be like, you know what? I do want to have my shit come up in the story yeah, and pass I've over. Got, I've got the star-crossed lover's background, mm-hmm. and I want my spurned ex- ex-boyfriend to show up in this scene. Here you go. Yep. And and now he'll show up. Mm-hmm. So that definitely adds a, a flavor to uh, to any active story, but it also gives – a caveat to the the storyteller to be able to now have that. Yeah. You know, he doesn't he or she doesn't have to come up with everything every time. And just as uh just as real as any other sequence when you're um when you're telling uh episode to episode of a story, you know, you'll be watching Star Trek the Next Generation, you know, not every single episode is plot. Sometimes it's about a character's backstory mm-hmm. and it focuses around them. Now you have advent to do that. Uh, Knox, I know, I know you're, I know you're joking with what you type there. Uh, he says in the live chat, "Can I bribe you not to have it come up?" That's funny. Um, but there are some parts of the system that do that. But there's, but there's legitimately a thing to that, though. Yeah, is that conflict and drama go hand in hand? Yes. Okay. And so they're, they're like salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah. On one hand, you you want to avoid the conflict because hey, everything's so much easier. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand. All the best stories I've ever told in 7C or, or, or sorry, all the best stories that Rob has told me in 7C mm-hmm. regarding my characters have come because my backgrounds came up mm-hmm. and complicated things yes. and things that were significant to my character because I inserted them in the story. Mm-hmm. Then it's it's no longer a story that's just kind of happening around me. Right. My stuff is here. Yeah. People important to me are involved. Yeah. It, it, draw, it, it automatically creates the bonds for your character. Yeah. It, it creates investment is yes. what it does. And so, I, I think that's super important because that isn't carried in a lot of game systems, that investment, mm-hmm. those bonds. Um, another thing that's in it and we'll kind of get into that is advantages uh, give you literally just that, an advantage in the game. Remember how we were talking in romance that it's kind of an advantage when you're married to someone or you're engaged sure. to someone. Um 
advantages kind of expand on that and includes things like secret societies. Like an advantage might be that you are commissioned. You're a commissioned officer, mm-hmm. which means you have rank. If you if you walk before certain people, they're going to salute you. They're going to listen to you. You can rally people. You know, uh, at the same time, you might have a patron. Like maybe you're an artist, maybe you play music and you get a constant stipend, you know? Mm-hmm. Those types of things definitely give you advantages and are considered advantages and they really can never be used against you. Mm -hmm. But backgrounds are meant to be part of the story and drama in that sense. Now, there are other things. We'll get to that when we get to player, when we get to the player section. Yep, yep. Um, but, uh, we'll, we'll talk about turning things on and off. Um, one of the things is magic is by country. So, and it's in your blood of your character. It's not something you learn per se. Right. So right. it's not uh, an arcane thing. It's more of a sorcery. Correct. Yeah. So, so in that sense, it is a very different magic system, and it is very directed. Meaning, there's only very simple things. Uh, you know, uh, simple rule sets for what they are. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, porte is uh, in France, uh, Montaigne, uh, which is the ability to open portals from That's one place to another. Oh, so my favorite. <laughs> um. And in that, you also have the ability to put things in pockets in other places. So for instance, let's say you're on a ship uh, and you, uh, you're getting boarded and you're like, ah, I need to hide this thing. You can literally open a portal and push this thing into it and close it up and now it's gone. Mm-hmm. Yet when you're locked in a cell, you can reopen that portal and pull it right out. My uh, my my character is a Montaigne character, yes, um, and has Porte magic. And what I like to do is uh, leave fully loaded guns yes. because I'm at, you keep keeping in mind this is the 1700s. Yep, guns take like a minute to reload, but they're also another one shot. They're deadly as shit, though. But they are super deadly. Yeah. My character is essentially a gunslinger. Yeah. So what she does is she carries two pistols on her. Mm-hmm. She leaves two more sitting on her bed, mm-hmm. marked with her own blood. Yep. And then as long as she's within <sighs> like a mile of mm-hmm. them or something like that, yeah. she can just fire one shot, two shot, reach into her pockets, pull them through portals to her, three shot, four shot. Yep. And it makes her really tricky to deal with. And at higher levels, you can use those pockets to catch things. Uh-huh. For instance, bullets or arrows or or larger things. I've got that ability. I love yeah, it so it's much. pretty cool. Um, so yeah, and it has to be like in Shadowrun. It has to be bought at character creation. You mm-hmm. can't add it later. So you either are blood magic or you're not. Mm-hmm. And you can be half blooded, which costs less and basically makes your tier level lower. Yeah, but it, 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 it basically caps out your skill, your 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 magic abilities at a certain yeah. level. Yeah. You can also be twice blooded, which is really interesting where you're half of one and half of another. Mm-hmm. And that can make some very powerful things later. Um, yeah, it, it, it is it is a pain in the butt trying to get Forte Mages to l- turn over all their weapons when they say they don't have any. And yet there's four pockets full of weapons somewhere out there for them. <laughs> um, Especially when the pockets scream and bleed. Exactly. Oh, God. That's a whole other thing. Um, another key thing is, is that uh, the monsters of this world are monsters. They are just that, but they are not prevalent. The real monsters are men. Mm-hmm. They are people. They are physical people doing terrible things. Now, they aren't villains in their own mind. They have an agenda, um, but that is just it. They they do have an agenda and they're, they have henchmen and – Brutes at the ready, waiting. You know whether it's a pirate captain who literally has what seems like an endless number of brutish sailors ready to fight at his his beck and call, mm-hmm. or it's a duke of some you know uh, Venetian city who has tons of swordsmen waiting. You know, or the the head of a royal guard of Montaigne who you know has hundreds of these identical looking guards you know with pistols or or rapiers pointed at you mm-hmm. Th- these are common things you know fields and fields of bodies mm-hmm. um but they are just that they are not the monsters of D or other games where you're literally getting goblins or whatever thrown at you they are people and in that sense you're not slaying them you're not there to be a murder hobo you know you're there to subdue them because that's all it takes. Mm-hmm. Those people don't want to be doing their job, but they have to do their job. They're Ted, you know, from accounting who was given a sword and said, you know, do you want your paycheck tomorrow? And he says yes and has to go out, you know, and do whatever the Lord said he had to do. 
Inigo Montoya from uh, The Princess Bride. Yes. And the scene where he finally corners the six-fingered man. Oh, the hallway? In the hallway, yeah. With all the men rushing him? He sends like ten guys at him. Yeah. And in ten swift stabs, Inigo Mm -hmm. takes all of them out. Correct. Is a perfect example of how 7th C combat goes. Yes. Because the six-fingered man is your villain. You know, he's the guy. He's the really important person in the scene. The brutes, and that's what they are. Yeah. They're brutes. Just brutes. They're nameless. Mm-hmm. They don't get a name in the end credits. It only takes one stab to take one out. Pretty they're much. probably not dead. No. They're just – but they, they but took you know what? a dramatic wound they, and they are done with their day. Exactly. And they and they are they are going to call in sick tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, Sam asked uh, – and I, I'm going to put the question to you. Uh, is it a hard system to learn if you've only ever played D&D? Um, I, I think – I think it's it's there's definitely going to be a learning curve if you've only played D and D. I agree. Um, I I think thematically it's a far different <laughs> system, and so I would say less less than learning the rules, learning the style is going to be more of a gap for you. Yes. Them. Yes. Um, thinking thinking dramatically, thinking about it almost like it's a movie mm-hmm. rather than thinking about it like it's an adventuring game. With a survival yeah. mode. I, 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 I like to say that D&D is a choose-your-own-adventure yeah. with a group of friends, mm-hmm. whereas 7th C is an episodic TV show that you're involved in. Uh, I, 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 almost, I almost put D&D into the tactical combat simulator. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, 7th C is, is – uh, if, if you think about it like a movie mm-hmm. and you think about it like, you know – if this character were cast, would they be played by a big name actor like Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. or would they maybe have their name twenty people down in the credits once right. the extras start rolling? Right, you right. Know? Once you start thinking about your characters like that, mm-hmm. then it's like okay, it suddenly becomes easier. And yeah. then the, the system itself, it's probably a lot easier if you've got a little uh, White Wolf because it's probably it's its closest cousin. Yeah. Um, to the to how the, how the system agree. rolls, but the system's not tough. No, system's system's, not, system's not pretty, pretty tough. Easy. Speaking of which, um, 7C, a telltale game like Fables. Um, yeah, I would say it's more like that. Probably. It's more like that. <laughs> Count Rachelou will remember this. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so then I'm going to separate into the character from, – from a player's perspective, the differences. OK, sure. Um, first off, it's a lot closer to Shadowrun and building a character because you have a point spend. Yep. So everybody has the same points to spend. It's still 100 points. Uh, White Wolf is also point yep. spend, so, so that's going to be familiar. You know, so you literally are buying up all your stuff. And a lot of times, you're, I mean, you're buying stats, you're you know, you're buying your traits, you're buying your skill sets, you're increasing your necks, you're buying advantages, you're buying backgrounds. All of that is is point based. Now, I will say there is an, an alternative way of doing it, and that is is uh, there is a way that you can randomize it, not unlike Palladium used to do, where you could roll tables to figure out what you know your character was uh, and how they were mutated, you know, or what kind of a hero they were at a random way. Um, this used a tarot deck actually to do it, uh, and you draw cards to create the randomness, and it would tell a story. Uh, and actually, every one of the nation books has a different spread. Uh, and different stories to make your character. So you could literally go to the Nations book, pull out a tarot deck and make a character uh, right off of that. Um, so honestly, a, a different way of doing it. Now, I personally have never built a character using the tarot method um, mainly because there are strong feelings in my household about what the uses of a tarot deck should and should not be for. That's fair. That's um, fair. So, uh, I mean, decks in general, there are ways to use general decks, and you can do the same. You can use it with a playing card deck, right? You right, know, right. so it's it's the same thing, um, uh, using major and minor arcana and and the suits. So, uh, but you can do it randomly, which is neat, and a lot of some people have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is dice heavy. You will need d10s aplenty. It is like I would say much closer to Shadowrun in the number of dice you will need, because uh, there is no doubt that at some point your character might be rolling as many as fourteen dice. Yeah, yeah. With, I think with seen, all the right things thrown together, that and that's happen, yeah. you know where you've got drama dice and other things thrown in there, and you've got this giant somebody pool. decides to assist you. And exactly. You've got a fate witch who's like, wait, yep. no, hold on, let me yep. strand some fate to you, and you know. It, it can get it can get pretty crazy, and then your tens start exploding, and uh, you start yeah. ending up with you know I, I only get to keep four of these, but I just rolled a seventy four exactly, and that's <laughs> what I was going to get into. Tens do explode in this game. There's uh-huh. a there are some conditions where they don't. Yep. Uh, but in most cases, if you roll a ten, if you keep that die, 
you can roll it again. And if it rolls a 10, you just keep right on going. Mm -hmm. That die is kept. Um, so it does make – so for instance, back to the whole roll and keep. Let's say you're rolling six dice. You get to keep three. If you have like a, uh, you know, a, an eight, a nine, and a 10, you keep you – know, you're saying I'm keeping all three of those. You re-roll that 10 and it produces a nine. Mm-hmm. That 10 is technically a 19. Yeah. You know, and that adds to your roll. Um, so yeah, if you like explosions, it's a thing <laughs> in this game. It is totally – and you can make some incredible rolls. Um, wounds and dramatic wounds are the difference. There are no hit points in this game. Oh, I love the dramatic wound system so much. So when you take wounds, uh, you get stabbed, you get shot, you get knocked off a building, whatever it may be, you have to do a wound check. Uh, and that wound check is basically just using your resolve. So you take your resolve and roll. Sometimes under certain circumstances, you might get extra dice out of it. Mm-hmm. But basically you're rolling to see if you can beat the number of wounds you have. Uh, so much like Anigo Montoya getting stabbed yep. and still being able to keep working, he's basically rolling his resolve dice. And he says, OK, well, you start with, you know, the, he, you know Count uh, Verdugo just did, uh, you know, seven wounds to you. You pick up your resolve dice. You roll them. I rolled a 13. Great. You still have seven wounds. Those did not go away. So the next time when he stabs you again and does 12, you now have 19 wounds to soak, uh-huh. which you might be able to do. The moment that you fail, though, is when you take a dramatic wound. Yep. And now your wounds go away, but you have one dramatic wound. You can take dramatic wounds equal to twice your resolve before you fall. Mm-hmm. And again, you're falling unconscious. You're not getting murdered. Once you're unconscious, if there's a villain in the room, he does have the right to do a coup d'etat on you and kill you. But coup that, de gras. Hmm. Coup d'etat is to overthrow. Oh, I know he's overthrowing the game at that point because you're throwing <laughs> your character out the door. Uh, but yeah, the, the effectiveness is that when you're dead in 7C, you are dead in the game, period, end of story. Mm-hmm. There are very few things that take your character out of the game, period. Uh, one is dying by the hand of a villain. Without a doubt, you are dead. Your character is gone. There's no recovering from that moment. You may have a long death sequence. You may be able to draw that out and do it, but you are dead. Mm-hmm. Um, a rarity, but it does happen. Two – you can lose reputation. Now, reputation is something important in the game in the sense that as you gain reputation, you can use that reputation to do miraculous things. For instance, let's say you've got 20 reputation and you're in a chase and you're being chased down by guards and lots of them and you're trying to get away, but you're rolling through a city. You can use your reputation to have people assist you. Mm-hmm. And so the GM goes, OK. Uh, as you round the corner, you see a hayloft that you ride through the center of the uh, of the barn and shout to the men and they see you and recognize who you are. So as several of the guards come to ride through, they push hay bales off, knocking them from their horses. There are now six less brutes following you. Hey. You know, things like that. Um, and, and various things like that can happen. Um, a group of players can pool their resources. For instance, uh, at a per- certain point, there was a henchman who had, ca- who had finally caught up with them and they had beat them in all the chase odds. So now they were in the middle of a courtyard. Uh, the henchmen had lined the courtyard with guards. They were literally dead to rights. They were going to be captured. There was nothing to do about it. And the players went, we're in the middle of town, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are. Okay. We're spending res- reputation. All of you? Yes. How much are you spending? All, all of, of our reputation. Why? Because we're not getting caught today. We need to get away. Okay. The townsfolk slowly start sleep- stripping out of the shadows and coming closer. What do you do? And one of the players just started singing. Mm-hmm. You know, rolled a performance roll. Now, again, it, you hear the exactly. And suddenly <laughs> now there were pitchforks and torches and, you know, swords and daggers. Definitely at, one at, rolling pin. Probably a frying pan, mm-hmm. you know, at the heads and bodies of all the guards. There were people standing between the guards and the heroes. Mm-hmm. So now suddenly the tables have turned. The guards are subdued and you have a henchman who's standing there like, uh, you get away this time. Right. You know, I, I was prepared to fight this, the, the, the four of you. Right. But I was not prepared to, to fight, fight the 40 of you. Right. The 40 or, or more of you. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of can change things. Likewise, uh, if you remember the sequence at the end of The Three Musketeers where suddenly there are musketeers everywhere, uh-huh. again, a great reputation drop. Yep. Um, so uh, lastly – Drama dice. 
most important thing that they added to this game and I think it's a great idea. It is not unlike reputation where you can add it to things or inspiration that you can add to things. For uh, um, Yeah, for, for, for our D&D players in the, uh, in, in, in the listenership, uh, they're, they're like inspiration dice mm-hmm. on, on PCP. Like, Correct. They're super inspiration yeah. dice. They, they are often used to do certain things like magics and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mostly after a roll, you can grab a drama die and just roll it to add to the roll. Sure. And sometimes you can use drama dies to just immediately succeed at things mm-hmm. uh, or activate an arcana or a hubris. Mm-hmm. Uh, arcana is something that is positive for you. It might give you some inspiration. It might give you a benefit in some way briefly. But a hubris is that thing that – the storyteller can turn on. Mm-hmm. So that's a direct thing where I can be like, hey, uh, I know you're lecherous. Here's a drama die. That girl's really good looking right now and you're not so much thinking about going to the court, you know, the Duke's court right now as going after her. And what do you do? You scoop that drama die up and you say, well, her ankles were showing. I yeah. Mean- and suddenly now you're in another room and out of the scene. Yep. Like just gotten taken completely out of the scene. So – Drama dice pass back and forth between player and storyteller throughout the story. But at the end of the game, they also get cashed in for experience. And drama dice are often given – you get usually one to two at the beginning of the game depending on what your lowest trade is. And then throughout the game, you spend it and it's not meant to be held on to really. What it's meant to do is add to your roles and make things better. But during the game, you can gain drama dice by basically being epic and role-playing. And making the game better, making it more enjoyable. And they say ways, you know, if everyone laughed, did everyone sigh, you know, did yep. everybody held their breath for something? Those kind of moments evict the need for a drama die. I, I remember a scene I earned a drama die uh, where my character was trying to uh, – we me and another character had snuck onto, a sh- uh, onto an enemy ship. Yes. And we had decided we were going to ignite their powder kegs mm-hmm. uh, to keep them from following us out of port. Yep. And uh, there were a couple guards mm-hmm. on the on the ship, and so my character did what she always does and just tried to seduce the guards. Mm-hmm. And so as you know, the scene is progressing, and there's a seduction taking place, and I make I made a pretty good mm-hmm. you know uh, a pretty good uh, seduction 100%. roll. Uh, they were eating right out of my hands, and mm-hmm. um, one of them you know kind of put his arms around my uh, on my on my hips and was like. Oh, hey, what's this, you know, what's this thing poking out? And I said, probably my gun. And I drew it on him <laughs> and put it right to his head. And, and like everybody at the table, just because of the the complete shift. Yeah, it's like you no know, longer from, romance. From, from seduction romance to like you've got a gun to your head and right. god damn, are you a fool? Yeah. You know, everybody cracked up, got me a drama die, you yep, know. So exactly. just little little scenes like that were just at you at, you've added to the overall enjoyment to things. Mm-hmm. It was a cool move, it was cinematic in nature. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or or just coming up with the right line at the right time to turn a story. I remember one player in in our game who literally uh like watched someone come back into a scene with a puppy. Mhm. And he was like, where did you get that puppy? And he's like, I, I, OK, I'm, I'm going to do – I know a lot about the Fae and what they are. Pulls up his dice, rolls, rolls like a 42 uh-huh. with exploded dice. And he just immediately goes, you put that baby back. You did not get a puppy. You put that baby back right now. And he just – that's the way he role played off that he knew for a fact that it had to have been a child that yeah, was it, stolen. Knocks on the box. It, it does. It rewards players more for choices than for die rolls. Correct. You are absolutely correct on correct. that. And it was less about that he made a very successful role. It was that what he was doing to push the game, he actually created a conflict mm-hmm. between the players that was meaningful and kind of exposed something that needed to be exposed. And a lot of times, especially at 7C, interplayer conflict happens more than – player to enemy conflict. Mm-hmm. It just happens. And you'll see that in movies all the time. You know, buddy cop movies, you know, uh, adventure movies. It's it's always the in-betweens that get them more sure. than anything else. Sure. You know, so. Well, because they're also the characters you know the best, so you can make the funny quips with them and, and yeah. spar with them a bit. And it's, you know. So that's Seventh C in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, I think we can squeeze in a few questions. 
All right. Just just a few. We got so 10 shoot minutes. me with something. Ten minutes. All right. Shoot um, me something good. You know, I saw earlier that Sparkle Motion yeah. had shot us a question, and okay. she rarely ever chimes in here. So sure. uh, Sparkle Motion asks, with the elements of magic in 7th C, um, with shapeshifters, Porte, the Fair Folk, Fuego, that's fire magic, uh, etc., how do you balance historic versus the fantastical in a game to keep the immersion? Um, 7C does a good job of making the fantastical uh, something that sits already in our purview. Mm-hmm. Um, like the idea of fuego and and being able to light fires, you know, making them hotter. You know, the person's not throwing fireballs per se. Mm-hmm. They might be able to light their sword up. Um, or, it's more or, like fire st- bending. Yeah, yeah, way way more than that. Porte again, it's portal magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pyramid, being able to embody yourself as an animal and have its strength, its skin, if you will. All these are fant you know, fantastical things that are within our mind frame. Um. And make for good story in their action elements. Uh, uh, fate, uh, the um, strega, uh, which is the uh, Italian uh, or or um, Vodacci, Vodacci yeah. uh, people. They they the women mess with fate, and they can literally change loves and money and things like that between people. Uh, and again, it's it's things that affect. The world in a meaningful way or an action sequence in a powerful way, but not so fantastical that you become a god. There are no me- god men. Yeah, you're not going to be like calling down meteor swarms on right. anything. But uh, but but in the scope, because it is all very mm-hmm. kind of low fantasy, even just being able to open a single portal and move one person through it. Yeah. You know, in the span of one round, right. can can change a lot. Yeah, but at the same time, your villains are equally the same. The head of Montaigne, the king of Montaigne, came out saying that he was a Porte mage and is one, quite a powerful one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that adds its own elements right there. Uh, I want to I want to bounce actually back over to uh, the Mad Elf. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Uh, uh, he says uh, the Seventh Sea is amazing, rich, sometimes violent history, alongside an enmeshed collection of interesting, often violent cultures. Um, would you please wax poetic on how you decide where and when to run a story? Most of – a lot going on. Yeah. There, the world is full of history and things. Literally every country has some story already running in it. So it is far easier to jump right into an existing piece of history that 7C has laid out for you and find ways to weave the characters into it. So – Think of the world as an already living, breathing time machine and you are mm-hmm. literally just jumping into a point and inserting yourself into that point in history and letting to see how your players play it out. Yep. Um, yep. A good example is Montaigne is practically on the edge of revolution. There are events that are going to happen very simply that prompt that revolution to happen and you can throw your characters right into the midst of that. And now their backgrounds and histories are being affected. Mm-hmm. by these events that are coming before them. The hardest part often is figuring out how you want to make them interested in that story. Right, right. Versus letting it happen around them. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a living world with a lot going on, but how do you tie your players to it and get them involved in what's going on instead of it just being a theme park that they're playing in? Yeah. Um all right, so Overwatch, um I'm going to word this one very carefully because I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. 7th C is made up of historical parallels. Montaigne politics as the French Revolution. Pirate nations, Argosta as something else. Ursa <laughs> as a uh, clearly czarist Russia. Does that make it easier or harder to build a campaign setting and why? I will say it only makes it harder if you don't know the history or at least the tropey version of the history and you have to go do some research. Like if you're not a studied person on – Russian politics mm-hmm. in the czar years um, and, and know the stories around Anastasia or Anastasia uh, and what happened as far as that's concerned, it can be very confusing. Like who are the boyers? Like why is there this foreign woman you know, living with a mad king? How is he made mad? Like what's, what's so important about why, – why is the church so orthodox? You know, there's elements that are brought from history but they're given such a – Odd uh, blurred glass that involves both myth and history that 
Unless you know enough about the history, you may miss certain elements of it. But the book does a really good job. Uh, each one of the world books do a really good job of telling you about each one of those countries mm-hmm. um, and gives you actual stories, written stories that you can read. It kind of puts you in the flavor of things. Yeah. Also, all of your uh, villains are given very good background information both that the players might know. Mm-hmm. As well as what you know in the background of their actual machinations. And it helps spell out their their motivations a lot more yes. so you know exactly how to utilize them in the story. Yeah. Yeah. If you love Anastasia and, and, and that whole storyline and know a little bit about that history, there's a lot going on there, Sam. And it's mm-hmm. a beautiful – Usur is beautiful. Do you think we got one more? Yeah. Yeah, I think we got one more. Okay. Uh, so actually we, we might have we might have two more for okay. quick here. Okay. Uh, we just got the five-minute warning. So Draven would like to ask um, – <laughs> Which one? Okay, so I'm going to go with the second one here. Sure. Uh, other than the concept that only villains kill heroes, are there any other Seventh C rules that you would like to see, uh, like to bring into other systems like D and D, or rules concepts you've already integrated into your games? Besides the, besides the the basic rule that only villains kill heroes, um, a lot of times I do bring over the scene based stuff. I mm-hmm. I skip. Uh, to the action. I skip to the important parts. Yep. Um, yep. I do that pretty much in all my games now because I feel that travel time is kind of fruitless. I also tend to ignore gear a lot more. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's nearly as important, the the, the minutiae. I'd say that's something I start doing, um, yeah. Because again, I, I'm not worried about that kind of stuff with most of my players. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to have a player who's going to look at me and say, yeah, I did pack a ballista. You know, mm-hmm. or or you don't care about gear, and yeah, I can carry it. You know, kind of a thing. Like we we don't get to that level of stuff. So I think that's definitely something I carry out of Seventh C. Um, a lot of times I do carry uh, some of the uh, hubrises out of Seventh C. Mm-hmm. I like the list of hubrises that they put in. It makes for very interesting characters, and it helps me with NPCs because uh, I can literally like if I don't know how a certain NPC is going to react, I can literally look at the Seventh C Hubris list and grab one, kind of like you do with the uh, Seven Dwarves. Yeah. With Seven Dwarves, except now I have a list of like thirty things I can pick right. from. So it makes and and I know exactly how to react in all of those things, and I can basically just say, oh, this is going to push this button without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I know this is how this person's going to react. Mm-hmm. Um, so those those kind of things definitely help with uh with carrying things over, and I think it's something that can can definitely be added as an accolade to other games. All right, I'm going to throw one more out here. Sure. Uh, it's going to be one for both of us here uh, to end the night off. Techno sure. Lich, unfortunately, couldn't join us tonight. Uh, he had a prior obligation. He's usually in our live chat and one of our biggest hype supporters in totally, our Patreon. Totally. So uh, I do want to throw him in here. Uh, what is the thing that stresses you out most as a storyteller based on a chat between Draven and I? Um. God, that's a good question. Do you have something off the top of your head? I, I would say probably off the top of my head, it's players acting in bad faith. Um, when when they look you in the eye and they know they are gaming the system and they are exploiting a loophole in the rules and they're going to do it right to your face and they act smug about it, like I want to throw books at people at that point. Like it, it yeah. boils my blood. I can, I can feel that definitely. I don't think I've had that as much. I think the one thing that stresses me out the most um, is when I have an uninterested player. Mm. Like somebody who's in an existing game and either it's an off night for them or they're just not feeling well or – but they still came to game um, or any number of, of other external things that I have no idea about and literally they're just not there but I have them invested in the game. Like the, maybe this episode or this um, this specific session revolves around their character mm-hmm. you know, and revolves around very important things that are important to their character and they're just – they got nothing. Like I'm literally out, getting yeah. zero reaction from them. Mm-hmm. There's nothing important about it, and I'm like, I wrote all this stuff, and and I, now the other players are, are aren't getting it either, and so it's suddenly like, well, shit. Yeah. Now I've just lost this whole episode, and I have to shift gears. I have to make it different. Right, because you were kind of depending on that player's reaction to Correct. drive the action. And if they don't give you a reaction, then it's just, zero reaction. And yeah. You're like, oh no, what 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 did I do wrong? Like, how did I miss the mark on? Did this I one? do something wrong? And now it's just killed the momentum of the story. Right. Because they were supposed to say, oh no, I'll never stand for that. Jump up and say we're going this way. Or like it's their sister that just walked into the scene. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that are I think. What stressed me out the most now. Right. So so I think we are ready to wrap this up a little bit. Our next week topic is about character scope. Uh, so uh, I would say 
like races, specific professions, locations, or pre-gen characters. Like, how do we work with that? Yeah. All right. You can find us online at Twitter at uh, at st underscore conclave, on Instagram at st underscore conclave, and on Discord. You can find the link to our Discord up in our Twitter feed. You can also find it in the description of any of the podcast episodes on your favorite podcast software. Thanks again to our Patreon members, Knox and Sam. You guys are fantastic. And the rest of our Patreons who support us week to week, we love you guys. Thank you for listening in, especially tonight. Our intro music is was a cinematic trailer by Scott Holmes. You can find that at scottholmesmusic.com. Our outro, which you're hearing now, is Backyard Adventure uh, by Hans, and I'm sorry, uh, Helkelma. Uh, and you can find that at freemusicarchive.org or hanshelkelma.bandcamp.com. We record every Wednesday at Podcast Detroit. You can find them online at podcastdetroit.com, on Twitter at Podcast Detroit. Our engineer is Ellen tonight. Caitlin, unfortunately, was out sick. Oh. So we hope you feel better, Caitlin. Thank but thank you. you so much, Ellen. And uh, one give big, of course, as always, a big shout out to our families, Vicky and Sean, Thank for you. supporting us all this time. All of our friends who've gamed with us over the years, and of course you, every single one of our listeners. We love you. We Good love night. You.